0: Scripture reading today comes from the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and we're reading verses 22 through 33. Two weeks ago, we began a new series of studies on Sunday morning, and we are looking at faith and culture. And we're asking, how do we live out our faith in the cultural context of the 21st century? And two weeks ago, we looked at what is genuine faith, and today we're coming to marriage. And so, we come to Ephesians 5 verse 22. Now, if you're watching from home for the first time, or you're watching overseas this morning for the first time, Whenever we participate in worship here, please feel free to do that at home. The words of the hymns will come up on your screen at home. And likewise, when we open up the Scriptures, you feel free to have a Bible open, a notepad, and a pen as we engage in the Word of God each Sunday. So welcome, delighted to have you, and let's study God's Word together. The Apostle Paul writes these words, "'Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord.' for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Allow me this morning to begin with an apology, and I apologize I wasn't here last Sunday morning as I was the guest preacher at Craffy Parish Church in Scotland. And I was there not only as the guest preacher, but King Charles III and Queen Camilla were also in the congregation that morning. And after the morning service, they were kind enough to invite Ruth and I, plus the minister and his wife, over to Balmoral Castle for a brief reception. And as you can imagine, that was very unusual, if not surreal. And I have to tell you that not only was the king winsome and warm and utterly engaging while we had some 25 minutes or so chit-chatting with him, but, and you will find this hard to believe, he laughed at my perceptive, insightful humor. (laughs) So just, thank you, so just a heads up, he did. And all week, people have been asking me, what did you talk to the king about? And in essence, I talked about you. I talked about the congregation. I talked about your faith. I talked about how you serve the Greenville community. He was fascinated to know about the congregation. He asked questions about our new extension and our campus redevelopment. He asked about BMW and the upstate and the growth of Greenville and South Carolina. And we talked to use an old Scottish phrase, about everything and nothing. And it was just a wonderful time. And at one point in the middle of the conversation, and please keep this just to us, I don't want this getting out. And at one point in the conversation, I'm thinking to myself, now Ruth and I came through Edinburgh Airport, and Edinburgh has stepped up their COVID requirements because uh, the UK is a COVID hotspot. And we went through Edinburgh, and then day and a half later, I'm standing talking to His Majesty, and I thought to myself, what if I've got COVID and I give it to him? And then the other thought ran through my mind, well, what if he has COVID and gives it to me? (laughs) And then I thought, Well, actually, I might have a royal strain of COVID, and I thought, that's pretty cool. So, we had a very good time, and it was a lot of fun, I have to tell you. And finally, let me make one more comment, and then I'll stop my silliness. People have been asking me all week, I've had multiple media interviews and radio interviews and television news and all sorts of things, and the question that folks come back to at the end is, why you? And the only thing that I can surmise when I look back and I received the invitation about six weeks ago and I tried to process all and think it through, Ruth and I have come to the conclusion that Crafty Congregation in rural Aberdeenshire were looking for a guest preacher with a rich southern accent. That's the only thing we can think of, so that's probably what, what it was. I mentioned moments ago that a couple of weeks ago, we started a new series of studies for Sunday mornings, and it's entitled, What Do You Believe? How does faith and culture interact? How do we live out our faith in a genuine, credible, authentic manner in a 21st century setting? And two weeks ago, I made this comment, we will be exploring and navigating our way around some of the cultural landmines and hot topics of our day, we will touch on issues of human sexuality, abortion, sexual identity, and marriage. We will also wrestle with how we respond as Christians to a society shaped by 24-hour news cycle, social media feeds, and the subtle but often unseen undercurrents of ideas, values, cultural artifacts, issues, institutions, and structures. And so, that's where we're going. And on some of these Sunday mornings together, we will be dealing with controversial topics. We'll be dealing with sensitive issues, and I trust that we will deal with them graciously, firmly, from a Christian perspective. And this morning, as you know, we're looking at marriage. And marriage, and it's strange to even say this, But marriage in 2023 can be controversial. Now, 20 years ago, we would never have imagined that, but that is in fact the case. And 20 years ago, we would focus on tolerance, and tolerance 20 years ago as a working definition meant this. You believe what you believe, I will believe what I believe, and we will simply agree to differ. But that has changed in the last 10 years. And the working definition, or at least a popular definition of tolerance, is now this. If you do not support, approve, and celebrate my choices, you are oppressing me and you hate me. Well, let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. In these Sundays together, as we dig down deep and deal with controversial and sensitive issues, you will never hear me demeaning anyone, robbing anyone of their dignity. You will never hear me attacking anyone. But I will focus on what is a Christian perspective on all of these issues, and we will do it graciously, but firmly nonetheless. And as a congregation, as individuals, I don't think we hate anyone and that's never going to be the case for us, because as Christian folks, we're called to do the very opposite. We're called to engage. We're called to stand firm for the things of the gospel. We're called to hold up what we believe and say, this is why we think it's important and significant, and we'll be doing exactly that this morning. And so, this morning, we come to marriage Now, like most pastors, I conduct multiple wedding ceremonies in the course of a year. and I often begin in the same way, and I begin with these words, marriage is provided by God as part of His loving purpose for humanity. And for this reason, the man will leave his father and mother and become one in marriage with his wife. And that phrase comes right out of Ephesians chapter 5. You're also going to find it in Matthew's gospel when Jesus talks about marriage. You'll also find it in the book of Genesis in those opening chapters. And Old Testament scholars will call that in Genesis a creation of ordinance. It is how we are created that a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. And those major themes of marriage run throughout the Scripture. I then go on and say marriage is thus a gift and a calling, a calling to live with and for each other, and is thus not to be taken lightly or from selfish motives, but gladly, with full consideration, reverence, and dedication. Marriage is entered into for loving, lifelong companionship and comfort. It is designed to nurture and develop the full expression of love between a husband and wife. Now, you may be sitting there saying, okay, Richard, I think I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree with any of it, but unpack that for me. You've thrown an awful lot at us this morning. Help me understand what are the implications of the three paragraphs you've just put up on the screen pretty quickly. Well, let me try, it, let me try to do that by way of an illustration. And I've used this illustration several times in the past, so be patient with me if this feels a little repetitive. Now, let me ask you to use your imagination. You're 26 years old. Your name is Susan. You phone your best friend and you say, Can we meet Saturday morning for a cup of coffee? I've got some news for you. And the friend discovers, or at least knows in her mind, that Susan has been dating her boyfriend Tom for the last 18 months and Susan and Tom have got pretty serious in their relationship. And so, you're excited to meet with Susan, and you sit down, and you catch up with Susan. How's her work been? How has this week been? How are family and friends? And then, as the conversation goes to the next level, she begins to say, well, I wanted to tell you, and you think she's going to say, we've just got engaged. And that's not what she says. What she says is Tom and I have become pretty serious, and earlier this week, he said he would like his family and friends to treat us as a couple. He has his eye on an apartment, and he'd like us to move in together. We could open up joint bank account, take out a mortgage. He has in mind some lawyers and a bank manager he wants to sit down with what do you think? And do you simply say, Susan, I think that's great. I'm super excited for you. Well done. That's amazing. I'm just thrilled for you. Or are you a little hesitant because you are her best friend? You want the very best for her. You like Tom as an individual. But moving in together, what does that mean? What are the implications of that for them as a couple? What is the significance of this? What is involved? Now, that's a conversation that happens, I would imagine, multiple times every day across the United States, when a young couple in their mid-twenties want to move to the next level, and then they lay out exactly what their plans are. And so, the question is, what's wrong with that? Shouldn't we be excited for them? Shouldn't we say, well done, please go ahead, this is wonderful? Or is there another way? And when Susan and Tom begin to embark down this road, are there questions? Are they fully aware of what they're getting into? Now, that model in their mind, and I'll come back to Tom and Susan in a minute. It's described in literature today as a consumer relationship. And that sounds a little crass and clumsy, but I see that term in more and more I read of the literature. And what they mean by a consumer relationship is this, that Tom and Susan can get together, take out a mortgage, have a joint bank account, have family and friends, consider them as a couple, but either Tom or Susan can walk away any moment. And the popular understanding is this, that I will remain in this relationship as long as my needs are being met, but when I have a better offer, or someone else becomes more attractive, or my needs are not being met, I simply pull away. That's the consumer model. Now, over here is a Christian understanding of marriage, and a Christian understanding of marriage means this, and we read it moments ago, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this, that whenever a couple enter into married life together, they will take solemn vows to commit themselves to each other. Now, let me explain. Back in May, I conducted a wedding, and the groom, his name was Jeff, and this is what Jeff promised. He said, I, Jeff, in the presence of God and before this congregation of our family and friends, solemnly promise to love you, Stephanie, and give myself to you. I promise to forsake all others and to faithfully be your husband from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you so long as we both shall live. Now, that's called a covenant promise. And covenant promise is this, a strong, unbreakable, personal bond of love. In fact, we find it all over the New Testament, and we find it in Genesis 12, the first time, where God says to Abraham, I will be your God, and I will love you, and I will walk with you and follow you, and I will never abandon you and never walk away from you and never forsake you. And the night before he died, Jesus at the Last Supper said this, I give you a new covenant. In other words, I promise to love you and be there for you, and I'm about to give my life for you, and I will hold you in the palm of my hand the rest of your days. Strong, unbreakable, personal promise of love. That's what Jeff is committing to right here, that's a covenant promise. Over here, you have a consumer promise that says, if my needs are not met, if this relationship is not going in the direction I want it to go in, I can pull away at any moment. Folks, that's not commitment. That's convenience. Tom wants a relationship with Susan on a legal basis, on a financial basis, on an emotional basis, so family and friends will treat them as a couple, but he is not willing to commit to Susan for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health, so long as we both shall live. That's what's going on. But over here, it's very different Because over here, a covenant vow says this, I'm not in this relationship to have my needs met. I am in this relationship to grow in love and grace and mature with you. And together, whatever issues come our way, we will deal with them together. That's why Christian marriage is so important. That's what makes it so special, because you are bound together for as long as you both shall live. And it's about the other person. It's about growing. It's about adjusting. It's saying, honey, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I was a jerk. Please forgive me. Not, I'll pull out when my needs are not being met. That's what's going on. And so, you see a world of a difference between a consumer model and a covenant promise of model. Several years ago, the New York Times published an article called The Downside of Cohabiting Before Marriage, and they say this, a popular misconception is that as an average young adult, you are more likely to make a good decision to be married if you have lived with each other first two clinical psychologists were behind this article, and they they went on to publish the research. It was very well done, and they say, in fact, that's not the case. It does not work that way. Goes on to say, but a clinical psychologist said this, the standards for a live-in partner are lower than they are for a spouse. Spouse. And they quote an interview with a young lady called Jennifer, and they say this, and this is Jennifer speaking. She said, I felt that I was on this multi-year audition to be his wife. As long as I performed, as long as I made it up to the mark, as long as I pleased him and met his needs, all was well. She then goes on, there was also the question in the back of my mind, could I do better than this? And as she's in the air trying to perform and trying to meet his needs, she's also thinking, could I do better than him? That's not marriage. That's a consumer relationship. Then she goes on, Jennifer said she never really felt that her boyfriend was committed to her. And please understand this, that when physical intimacy in marriage takes place, the body is aware that the mind and heart and soul is not as fully committed as the body would make you believe, and there is, in fact, a disconnect. That's a relationship that will not last. It cannot stand. In fact, when I conduct a marriage, I remind the congregation and the couple right there that when they come down this aisle, they come down as I and mine and my, and they leave as we up this aisle. And the symbolism is very real. In fact, at the beginning of a marriage ceremony, I will often say to a couple that when you leave here, Everyone will treat you differently. Family, friends will treat you differently. The state of South Carolina will treat you differently. The United States will treat you differently because you are now husband and wife. People treat you differently because you've entered into a covenant relationship for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. Please hear me. That is the distinctive mark of married life. Do not settle for anything else because if you settle for something else, usually the spouse, well, let me be as blunt as I can, they're probably not good enough for you because you're looking for love. You're looking for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health as long as you shall live. Do not settle for something else. Set the standard high. Live up to that standard. That's why marriage is so good. And for those of us who have been married 35 and 40 and 50 years, we know it gets sweeter and richer as the years go by, and it gets sweeter and richer because you live for the other person first, not consumed by meeting your own needs. There's a world of a difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. And our job is to model for a generation coming behind us what genuine, authentic marriage looks like. A marriage cemented by love and grace of husband and wife and the hand of God upon it, blessing, encouraging, and strengthening. So, when you're tempted to live out your faith, you're tempted to think, marriage, where is it? Understand again what The scriptures teach about marriage and the wonderful, blessed experience it is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that Sunday by Sunday, as we open up your Word, it speaks into our lives. And help us please this week to remind ourselves of the wonder and joy that married life is. Father, for some of us this morning, we fell out with our spouse driving to church. They were running late. We were in the car early. We've told them a thousand times. Please help us to remember that these little moments are insignificant, and help us to celebrate and delight in the love that You have given us for one another bless us this week. Bring us to a new and full and rich appreciation of married life and give thanks to You for our spouse. And Father, we pray finally for those who are thinking of marriage, for those who long to be married. Strengthen, equip, and enable them, overwhelm them with Your love and Your enabling grace so that in turn they will hold to a Christian understanding of the standards and values of married life. Father, bless us this week as we seek to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.